Well, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And we're going to be in, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 30. Jesus is continuing some vital lessons about what it, what it means for us to be a follower. And it's on the heels of uh, coming down from the transfiguration, the great glory of God being revealed in Christ, being revealed to the, the three disciples that, that he takes with him. And then coming down the other side, coming down the mountain, Jesus continues some lessons. You might call these lessons along the, along the way. These are lessons on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to, to the cross. And after Caesarea Philippi, we, we turn to a, a new section, if you will. After chapter 8 in, in the Gospel of Mark, we turn to a new section where Jesus is preparing his disciples for the final chapter, which is Jerusalem, final chapter being the, the cross. And, and he understands that they need to learn some, some vital lessons. And, and just like the disciples, we need to learn some vital lessons as well. And and these lessons are very practical. They're, they're shoe-leather characteristics of discipleship. And they're couched in these, in these stories. Like last week, there was the lesson about, about faith and, and how, I believe, help my unbelief connects us to, to the power of God. Jesus is teaching his disciples while he was on the mountain, he's away, and he's not there physically present. His power is still present, just like us today. Jesus bodily rose and ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father this morning, but his power is here. It's, it's available to us, and we receive that by, by faith. They're practical lessons of the Christian life that must be learned in order for the disciples to be successful servants. And the lesson today is, is just as important as, as faith. It's on, it's on humility. Jesus has been in private teaching the disciples since chapter 8 and it's clear that they don't they don't get it. Peter rebukes the Lord at Caesarea far bit from you that this is going to happen. They go even up on the mountain and and they want the Peter wants the kingdom to come now. We'll build the tabernacles, forget this whole cross business. Let's have the kingdom now. Here's Moses and here's Elijah. The nine are at the bottom of the hill failing to cast out demons because they're, they're relying on their own self-sufficiency. And, and now Jesus is going to take them back to the cross, back to the mission, and he's going to teach them a vital lesson on, on, on humility. Now they're leaving Caesarea Philippi, the Bible tells us. And as they make their way through Galilee, Jesus teaches them that the currency that that runs the kingdom is not power, it's not uh, the idea of being great, it's, it's humility. That's the, that's the current. That's, that's how the power of God operates. That's how discipleship operates. That's how the kingdom operates. Humility is the very essence of discipleship. It's the core disposition of the of the Messiah. It's the underpinning of his work. He he humbled himself. He he comes from heaven to to us, to earth. God comes to man. Man doesn't get get better and and arise to God. God comes to to man. It's the very essence of of the Messiah's heart. It's the 
It's the underpinning of his, of his work. It's the very nature of Christ himself. And in the Bible, humility is essential for salvation and it's essential for sanctification. Beginning to follow Christ, salvation, and continuing to follow Christ. It's, a, it's essential. It's all through the Bible. Isaiah 66, 2. This is the one to whom the Lord looks, to him who is humble and of a contrite heart. You'll not come to Christ in pride. You'll not come to Christ unless you're crushed under the weight of the law and you see your sin, you're humbled by that, and in that humility God sees you, contrite spirit, and you tremble at the word. Then sanctification, Micah 6.8. He's told you, old man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? After you come to Christ, what does God require of you? To, to do justly or justice, to, to love mercy, faithful, loyal love, and, and to walk humbly with your God. It's, it's, all through, it's all through the Bible. As I said, if there's anyone that ought to be humble, it ought to be, it ought to be a Christian. In fact, without humility, you cannot be his disciple, much less be a good one. And the twelve needed this, this lesson. And I would say, so do we. If there is anything unnatural to the human heart, it's, it's humility. It is absolutely unnatural. John MacArthur said humility is foreign to the fallen DNA. It's foreign. It's not natural. If you let yourself go, if, you, if, you, if you're left to your own devices, if you don't place yourself under the Word, if, if you're not part of a body, if, if, if God's not reigning over your life and speaking into your life in some way, you will not naturally become more humble, will you? You know that. Every fallen heart worships itself. And it's not promoted by the world either. The world doesn't view humility as an asset. You win at any cost. All I do is win, the song says. And the world loves winners, and the world hates losers. And you hear that on a regular basis. And yet the kingdom turns whatever you've learned from the world upside down, doesn't it? You think the king conquers and rules? Jesus says he's come to serve by dying, by, by being delivered into the hands of other people. So you think the kingdom means glory, but it actually means glory through humiliation. Glory, exalt, being exalted by God because you have humbled yourself. You think it means position and prominence. It means servitude and, and selflessness. You think that, that Christ or the kingdom means to get. Jesus says it means to give away. That's that's absolutely contrary. There are two completely different competing systems. There is the world system and then there is Christ system. And they collide in my heart and in your heart on a regular basis because we are not glorified yet. God's ways challenge all natural assumptions. And it's why genuine Christianity doesn't work in the flesh. It's you must be born again. You must be changed. You can't add Jesus to the ways of the world. His, his kingdom operates on a completely different plane. And, and at the center 
is the attitude of, of humility. It's absolutely necessary in serving Christ, and without it, you'll not experience the grace of the Lord. God resists the proud, and he does what to the humble? He gives grace to the humble. And without humility, you'll not obey the Lord because you won't think that you actually need anything from God. Without humility, you won't pray. Without humility, you'll get nothing from the Bible because you're, you're reigning over it rather than coming under it. And without humility, you'll not have good Christian relationships. You'll not have good, a good marriage. You'll not have a good family relationship. Humility is, is essential. For the Christian life, and it's essential for being a good disciple. And Jesus sets up this entire scene where the disciples are arguing about who is greatest with the greatest example of humility ever expressed. It's his substitutionary death. And on the heels of that, there's the discussion about who is the greatest, and that prompts the Lord to teach them and give the kingdom principle about being last and first and the child. And then there's this argument that John gets into with another man who's not one of the disciples doing Jesus' work, and, and he ends with this cup of cold water in, in, in my name. Let, let me give you the outline for these 11 or so verses. Last week it was the necessity of faith in doing Christ's work. Today it's the necessity of humility in doing Christ's work. And and there's the pattern of discipleship in verses 30 and 32. That's the that's his death. He tells them about his death while he's going to Jerusalem. Then there's this problem in the discussion. The disciples are talking about who's greatest. And then he gives them the principle of the kingdom. This is how the kingdom operates. Last, first, child. And then there's this protest about another man's work. And then there's how humility is portrayed. It's portrayed in in actions, not just in words or in attitude. Let's look at the pattern for, for discipleship. And Jesus teaches us about Christ's humble passion, if you would, at verse 30. He says, from, from there they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to, to know about it. Jesus purposely avoids people to avoid public attention. You remember this is the private instruction. Public ministry is is over. And he tells us specifically why he does that in verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them. That's why he, he avoids the crowds. And look at what he's teaching them. He was telling them the Son of Man is to be delivered into the into the hands of men. And they will and they will kill him. And when he has been killed. He will rise three days, three days later. The context for the lesson on humility is the, is the cross. It's the, he's still preparing them. It's the messianic mission. And, and there's, there is in this little word, this being, the Son of Man is being delivered or being handed over. There's a, there's a key there in that word that, that sets up this, this next scene. They still need the lesson, and that's very evident from, from what they start talking about right after this lesson. The lesson is sparked by the, the last two scenes. Well, what's happened? Why do they need a lesson on humility? Well, Peter, James, and John are feeling, are feeling pretty good about themselves, and they shouldn't. 
They got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Why did they get to go on the Mount of Transfiguration? Because Jesus knew that they were too weak to suffer without being able to have a glimpse of the glory. It wasn't because they were greater than anybody else. So that three, those three needed the lesson on humility. And the nine also needed a lesson on humility. The nine that were left at the bottom of the hill failed to, to use Jesus' authority that he'd already given them because they're depending upon themselves. And so all of them need this lesson on, on humility. And he starts the lesson by telling them about the Son of Man. Now, the word teaching here, where Jesus is teaching his disciples, it, it means more than just, than just talking to them. It implies more than an announcement. It's a, the idea is from Scripture. He's teaching them from Scripture. He's bringing Scripture to bear. He's telling them about what the Bible, about what the Bible says, what the Old Testament says. And he uses this specific title, the Son of Man. He's either teaching them from Isaiah 53 or more likely Daniel 7. The Son of Man is the Messianic title in Daniel 7. And the Son of Man is, is, is God. He, he's supposed to rule over men. He's the Messiah. And yet Jesus says the Son of Man, in, in verse 31, is, is going to be delivered. He's, he's going to be betrayed. And the, the word has that idea. It's to be handed over unto people that are going to do the wrong thing to you. And it's a, it's a special word. It's a judicial term. It's used about the death of Christ, and it's, a, it's what's called a divine passive. It has the idea that God is the one that's, that's handing him over. God's handing over the Messiah, the Messiah being God. The Son of Man is being delivered you're, or, or being betrayed. It's the, notice it's, it's already happening, and that's the key. They're on the way to Jerusalem, and this is already happening. The Son of Man who is God of very God, is being delivered. He's being betrayed. It, the, the process has already begun, is what he's saying to the, to the disciples. That's exactly what Isaiah 53 says, and that Peter echoes at Pentecost. Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And what does Peter say in Acts chapter 2? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, him being delivered, the word, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. This is not Jesus got wrapped up in some political mess. This is God's plan. He's being delivered, and part of the plan is God to be handed over to, to sinful humanity. And Jesus says to the disciples, the future course of events have already been decided. And he's saying the process has already, has already begun. And it involves humility. The Son of Man, who's supposed to rule, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. There's the humility. And what are they going to do to him? They're going to kill him. But watch how the victory comes. And when he has been killed, he will rise from the dead three days later. There's the kingdom principle. Humility leads to exaltation. It's not grasping power, it's, it's humbling. And that's the connection to the new scene. What will seem like defeat actually brings victory. It turns the world's paradigm upside down. After death, he'll rise to new life and a new kingdom of living saints 
who die in Christ, they will also live again. And the victory comes. The success in following Christ comes when he humbles himself. Jesus will become like a child in the arms of sinful men. God will humble himself into the hands of sinners. Divinity voluntarily relinquishes himself to to humanity. And the disciples just can't comprehend that. Look at verse 32. But they didn't understand the statement. And they were afraid to ask. Can you understand that? That God himself, that God would humble himself in, in your place? You understand Christianity is not about your goodness or commands, you've already broken the commands. You have no hope of recovering. The gospel is about God, the godly, justifying the ungodly. That's you and that's, that's me. And he does that through taking your place. And that began with the Messiah being handed over into human control. And, and the disciples understand enough to be afraid, but they also understand enough not to not to ask more. And they probably should have based upon the the next discussion. Look at this problem. There's the disciples' hubris, positioning, proud. Look at verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was, was greatest. Now, the disciples are afraid to ask a question, but Jesus is not afraid to ask a question. And this is a question that needs to be asked. The disciples have been walking for a long time. From Caesarea, they're coming through Galilee, and they come to Capernaum. It tells us exactly where they, where they end up. You know, 20, 30 miles, something like that. It's a long journey. And Jesus is using the time from Caesarea, from the Mount of Transfiguration to Capernaum, He's avoiding the crowd so he can teach them. And his, what he's teaching them is about his death. And they used the time to discuss about, about who's going to rule the group. I mean, the irony is, is these little words about their, this discussion happens on the way. It's on the way under the deliverance. The deliverance is already underway. They're on the way for Christ to be delivered. And on the way, they're talking about the very opposite of what they should have been talking about. He's on the way to their to his predetermined death in Jerusalem, and the disciples are, are following him. As they're following him, they're talking about personal advancement. He's talking about personal sacrifice. And we ask them, they're, they're embarrassed. It's, if you're too embarrassed to, to publicly share what's in your heart or even verbalize it to God, it's a, probably a pretty good indication that it's not a very good topic, right? And we may walk around thinking that we're better than other people, but but we don't verbalize it. And they didn't. Pride is blinding. I mean, when, when you think about the context here, they're walking with the Lord. Three of them have seen the transfiguration. He's talking about the cross, and they're acting like a bunch of school kids of who is going to be greatest in the kingdom. I mean, think about the, the irony. And pride is, is blinding. And sometimes we, we don't even realize it. The office uh, got an email 
not long ago. We, we had a we had a second year undergrad college student visit the church, and and after he visited one time, he he sent the church a, an assessment of everything we did wrong as a as a congregation, from how friendly we were, how friendly we weren't. And then he graciously offered himself to come and teach us how we could be how we could be a better church. He, he even included quotes from his undergrad textbook as instructions that that we could that we could follow. And because he didn't have any impressive initials after his name, you know the people that sign their name MDiv, DMIN, DD, PhD, whatever, whatever. Since he didn't have any initials yet, he he, he assigned it this very long signature with with everything he'd done from his Boy Scout merit badges to his Little League trophies, you know. I mean, the guy was clueless. He should have been embarrassed to send something like that. And yet, in his pride, he he was asserting himself. And that's exactly what the disciples were doing. That's what they saw modeled, right? I mean, think about the disciples. Think about what they'd seen as religious leaders, it's the it's the Pharisees who love the chief seats. They, they they sought synagogue positions. They they lengthened the, the 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 tassels and the tyings around their hands in order to to look more look more spiritual. They blew the trumpet whenever somebody gave. I mean, can you imagine if the when the offering plate went around, it made no sound. Uh, unless a hundred dollars or more went in, and then it, and then it, it, there was some bell that went off. You know, it's passing around. You know, it passes by me, it does nothing. It passes by somebody else, it does nothing. And somebody puts a hundred dollar bill in there, ding, 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 ding. You know, and everybody sees. I mean, that's what was. That's what happened. They blew the trumpet. Look at what I have have done. I mean, this is the context of spiritual leadership in in the disciples' day and. And that's what they saw, and that's what they were thinking about Jesus' kingdom, and nothing could be further from the truth. The kingdom is the, is the opposite of that, and Jesus is going to give them the, the ruling principle in the, in the kingdom, and he uses this, this child as a, as a helpful, helpful picture. If you would, at verse 35. You ask them the question, they don't answer, they keep silent, (laughs) sheepishly. And verse 35, sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Now, sitting down, he he sat down, he calls the twelve to him. Sitting down is taking the, the official teaching position of a rabbi. I'm standing you expect me to preach, you're sitting, you're hearing. In, in Jesus' day, sitting down is taking the official position. It's like, all right, guys, lesson time. That's what he's saying. And then he calls them to himself. They're already in a house. It's not like he needs to go, it's teaching time. I mean, they're right there in the room. It's a small house. He calls them. I mean, he's saying, listen, I have something very important that you need to, you need to understand. And then he says to them, without them ever even answering what they were talking about, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, servant of all. Jesus' greatness in God's kingdom is characterized by two twin elements, lowliness or humility and service. Humility, 
and service. Service is how humility is expressed. Oh, I am a very humble person. Are you a servant? Because servants, service is, is the evidence of humility. Not serving is showing that you lack it. It's the action that flows from humility. To be first. If anyone wants to be first, it means a ruler. If anyone wants to be a ruling priest, a person of authority, a person of influence in the kingdom, then they're to be last. They're to be a servant. It's somebody with no rank and and no privilege. Jesus says if you want importance, then take, take no rank. Take no privilege. It's the status that humans ordinarily don't covet. You might covet a position, and Jesus says, advancement in the kingdom of God requires you to seek none of that. I mean, some people just must be first. They have to be first. They can't help it. And that's a wonderful thing in a competition or in a race. But it is worthless in the kingdom of God. It's contrary to the kingdom of God. Stand back and, and, and watch... When anyone has to line up, whenever there's, a, whenever there's a line to be formed, the people that rush to the front, whoever is in the first of the line, if they've not been invited to the first of the line, you don't want that person leading anything spiritually. You want the person who is encouraging everybody else to get in front of the line. That's who you want to be leading spiritually in the, in the kingdom. I can remember going to... Uh, the Shepherds Conference uh, uh, years ago, and, and and there's there's this the doors open like 15 minutes before before the service, and you're standing there at the doors, and, and I can remember we we're walking in with our Bibles, and they opened the doors, and I don't know where these guys were were, were from, but they literally ran over people to get down on the front row, and I see some of you've been there, snaky shaking your heads like. Like, they're going to trample people to sit on the front row and listen to the Bible preached. It's just, it's nuts. And kingdom virtue is being last because humility is the, is the kingdom's currency. It's how the Lord walked. And it's how we follow Him. And it's all through the Bible. It's commanded. It's not optional. Luke 14, 11, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Colossians 3, 12, put on, put on the heart of humility. Ephesians 4, if you want to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, be humble. It's a command. It was also modeled by Christ, was it not? I mean, the, 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 uh, he takes on human flesh, he washes the disciples' feet, he lays down his life, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And humility is learned by experience. This is the part I do not like. I don't like this part, but we're humbled by our circumstances. Our circumstances what teaches us humility. The Apostle Paul said he learned contentment. I've had everything and I've had nothing, and I've learned to be content. And the only way that you can learn to be content is, is through Christ, who who strengthens you and you learn humility through circumstances. Suffering humbles us. You need to suffer because it humbles you. And to the extent that you avoid suffering, humility is probably not going to be very present in your life. Hardship 
humbles us. Parents, it is not a good thing to remove all the hardships from your children. It's a horrible thing. You're doing them a horrible disservice because suffering and difficulty is what forms the character in them that they will need. And if not, you can see it. We have a world full of victims, and you have a world full of people that are entitled. Opposition humbles us. Criticism humbles us. Failure humbles us. I hate all of those things, but I love what it brings in my, in my life. And so everything that happens to you, you may not like it, you may not enjoy it, but it's making you more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ so you can rejoice in it. And Jesus uses an object lesson to, to teach this. Look at verse 36. After he gives them the principle, taking a child, he set him, that's the child before them, taking his arms, he puts his arms around the little child, and he says to him, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me connects it to the Father. He connects humility this attitude, this understanding that, that comes out in, in, in actions to being right with the Father, knowing the Father, receiving the Father. The word for child here is, is a small one. It's like an infant, but we know that the child is small enough to carry. Jesus places him in his arms, but, but he's also big enough to, to stand beside him. Luke says he, he places him beside him. This child doesn't, it's, it's about status. It's not about the character traits of a child. Jesus is not saying, if you want to be great in the kingdom, then, then be immature or be childish. I mean, we're told to put away childish things. We're, we're told to grow in maturity, discipline, and practice. What's the point? The child is, is the lowest order on the social scale in those, in those days. Slaves even taught children. A child was, was the lowest. And the child is under authority. He's under the care of others. The child doesn't have the right to determine anything themselves. A child has no status, no position. You ready? A child had no rights. To become like a child is to embrace that status and accept the lowest place or be a little one. Become a little one. How's that sit with you? You like being first? You'll be last in the kingdom if you do. You think, think of somebody that you don't like, think of somebody that you don't feel is very accomplished, may not even be very spiritual. Can you take a back seat to them? Can you genuinely serve them? Because that was the mission of the Messiah. That's what Jesus did. You're his follower. You're following after him. God of very God, the highest of all, disregarded status. and took the lowest place in order to serve you. And he didn't just become a, a great man. He condescended on a massive scale. He became a lowly servant even to the point of death. I don't know if you've, if you've seen it. I've watched it a couple times. There's a TV show, like, I think it's called Undercover Boss. You've seen that where... Like the CEO goes undercover, he puts on a mustache, and he, he, he gets down and he scrubs the toilets with, you know, the, the average Joe that's, that, that's out there. Uh, and it's appealing. It's, it's fun to watch. You know, in the end, he's going to reveal himself, and everybody's, you know, oh, he's this, 
whoever, you know, Susie's going to get to go to college and, 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 and whatever. It's, I think it's appealing because we, we typically think that, that those above us don't really know how hard we have it, right? I mean, the ball, if the boss knew what I had to do, he'd sing a different tune. So here's the boss. And sometimes that happens in the TV show. The boss starts singing a different tune. It's also appealing because there's something about those higher coming lower to us, where we are, and, and serving, understanding us, and walking with us. And it's like if they do that, then they get it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He's always touched by our infirmities and our hardship because he came where we are. He came to serve. And so for anyone who claims to be his follower and to demand to be served and declare that, that they have rights is a contradiction in the highest order. And that's exactly what the disciples were, were doing. And Jesus says, if you reject that, then you reject me. If you reject becoming a little one, then you reject me. And if you reject me, you reject the Father, and you have no access to the Father. Humility is necessary for salvation. How you treat other people indirectly is connected to the way that you view God, and and it reveals a lot about your character, especially if they're not in, in your little club. Look at verse... 38, here's John's hostile protest. So after this teaching, and after the child is, is sent there, probably one of Peter's relatives, they're in, they're in Capernaum, so you, we would assume that he's in Peter's house or wherever they normally stayed, because it's, it's not a public thing, he doesn't want to be seen. And after the teaching, John says in verse 38, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him. Because he was not following us. Now, this is interesting. John is the one who speaks. Who, who's, the, who's the normal guy who speaks up? It's Peter. But here's John. And he's complaining about a man who was doing Christ's work, who wasn't an apostle. He, he was not with us. It's, it's the first time you hear from John. And I want you to notice specifically what, what John says. I want you to notice that this man performs a genuine miracle. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. They're being successful. They're casting out demons. This wasn't like the seven sons of Sceva. This is not a pretender. This guy was legit. He performed a genuine miracle of casting out demons. And you know the power is not in the man. The power is coming from God through this man. So this is a genuine miracle. Notice it's in Jesus' name. He's casting out demons in your name. He's doing it in the name of the Messiah, in the name of Christ. And notice, we tried to prevent him. Not just John, but the entire group. The entire group that needs the lesson on humility (laughs) tries to prevent him. And notice John tells us why. Because he was not following us. He was following Jesus He's casting it out in his name, but he's not following us. And we don't know it much more about this scene other than what the Bible tells us here. But this guy's not trying to do something. He's actually doing it. This was a true follower, a true believer. The disciples evidently don't know him. 
And they're trying to stop the guy because he wasn't part of their, their group. Now, I would say this is a place in the Bible to be very careful. Because the text is very specific. We live in a culture that says there is no truth and it doesn't matter. Lines don't matter. As long as you use the name Jesus and all of that, you're warm, fuzzy, you're okay, we're okay, we're all okay. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The power of God was operating through this man and it was in Jesus' name. He's acknowledging who Jesus is. So this is not anything goes. This is a genuine follower. And God is not calling here for for you to not be clear about the gospel or what truth is or anything else. But what he is saying is one of the purest tests of of humility is how you respond to the success of others, especially if you're a failure. Think about this. John speaks, but it's the whole group that tries to stop him. The nine disciples that just failed to cast out a demon because they lacked humble faith are trying to stop one disciple they don't know who's actually doing it because they, he didn't carry their club card. They rebuked a man doing God's work because he was not part of their group. Now, if that doesn't smack of pride, I don't, I don't know what does. Lacking humility breeds competition amongst yourselves, amongst the believers in your own group. They're arguing about who's the greatest. And it also creates the same thing for those outside of your, your group. I hope you know that all of God's work is, is, done, is not just done through people who, who tie their shoelaces just like you or just like me. B.R. Lakin said, Presbyterians are a little dry when it comes to baptism, but if they're preaching the gospel, we, we shouldn't stand in their way. Arminians put forth a lot of extra effort and may take credit for things that they don't do, but if they're genuinely doing Christ's work, give thanks to them. Thanks for them. Whatever your methodology is, if you are genuinely preaching the gospel then don't hinder those who are doing that as long as they're proclaiming Christ. And those who lack humility have their own little club and no one else is in it. And Jesus says there's no real competitors if they're preaching the true gospel. And he ends with what evidences true humility, which is service. The servant's hospitable practice. Look at how he ends this whole thing. He says, don't hinder him in verse 39, for there is no one who will perform a miracle, it's a genuine miracle, in my name. He's not a heretic who will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. He's going to give credit, he's going to give credit to God. For who is not against us is for us. In verse 41, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever gives, and here's an example of a cup of water to drink. It's it's in Christ's name. It's because you're a follower of Christ. He's talking about how humility is demonstrated. Not demonstrated by position or... Or who's one, two, three, four. 
It's modeled as like the status of this little child becoming a little one, and it's demonstrated in service, giving a cup of water in my name. And that's rewarded by God. How do you know if you're humble? Do you feel humble? I feel really humble right now. Am I humble? I would say that you're closer to humble if you feel really proud. I feel really proud right now. That's probably closer to humility than feeling humble. You don't feel humble. How do you know you're humble? Well, Jesus says it right here. You serve. It's an action. You can't feel humility. You act in serving others. That's how you know if you have it. That's how you also know if you don't have it. You demand to be served. And self is always seeking to be to be served. I used the Shepherds Conference as an example before of of some bad apples that that are not part of the church but come there for the conference. But I was blown away the first time I went and at the way the church served everyone who came. Did you know that they put out the list for host homes and places to serve? For the thousands of men that come for the Shepherds Conference, they put it out over a year in advance. And sometimes they don't even announce when they put out the list for people to sign up because people fight over the opportunity to serve. I mean, it's, it, there are more host homes than there are individuals. There are more people that try to sign up for the service opportunities than there are places of of service. They're not sitting there in the pulpit begging, oh please, we need we need one more person to, to take a Chinese student or we need one more person to serve in children's ministry or do whatever whatever it is. It's a culture there. And Jesus says the way humility shows its presence is by serving others and specifically serving in Jesus' name. And the very end of verse 31, he will not lose his reward. You know why he puts that on there? Because you'll not get any reward from the earth, from the world, by being last. What Jesus is calling the disciples to do and you and I to do today will not get you ahead in the world. In fact, it will get you exactly where it says it will get you, in last place. And you may not have position or prominence. People may not listen to you. You may be last in the world, but if you follow Jesus and you take last place, you become a little one in him for his name and serve him in his name, you'll get the reward where it counts from God in heaven. And that's where it matters, isn't it? So are you humble? Well, this passage really exposes a lot about that. Why don't you bow your heads? How do you know if you're humble? Can you handle the truth? The disciples couldn't. Luke says God had to conceal some of it from them because they were so immature. Are you humble? Are you are you more worried about your status and positioning than than serving others? Are you humble? Are you happy being last? Do you compete with others? Does jealousy reign in your heart? 
Are you humble? Do you serve? Are you a servant of even those who can't do anything in return, even though you get nothing in return? If so, rejoice. You are a true follower of Christ. And if not, repent. And then embrace whatever the circumstances are that come in your life, whether it's sickness or whether it's hardship or whether it's lack, because all of that is working in you far greater good, which is humbling you and making you more and more like your Savior. And I would just say to you, if you don't know the Savior, it begins with humility. You come acknowledging you have nothing to offer God. You receive everything that God has already done for you because even though you don't deserve it, because He graciously offers it. And you say, I am a sinner. I have no hope in myself. I trust fully in the work of Christ. I repent of my sins. And I want to follow you, whatever it costs. And the Bible says that Jesus will not cast you away. He will serve you in the cross, as he already has. Father, what a humbling passage. Thank you for exposing us by exposing your word. Help us, Lord, to be humble people. Help us to have a culture of service. That when any opportunity is provided, we, we, we try to be first in, in being last. We try to be first in, in taking those opportunities of service. Father, keep our hearts from competition. Keep our hearts from thinking that we're better, our ideas are better. Help us to be like you. We thank you that you served us, even though we're so great sinners. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.